Hello everyone and welcome back to Minas Tirith Archives, History of Middle Earth podcast, where we dive deep into the history of Middle Earth. My name is Phil, and as you may notice, I am kind of losing my voice, or at least I'm getting it back. It was a lot worse, but has been slowly returning. Unfortunately, this has been the year where I've come down sick with just everything in a constant one after another thing. I went from the person that never gets sick to the person that is never not sick. So that's been fun. But here we are with another episode. I'm super excited for this episode because I we're talking about some of my favorite characters in the Lord of the Rings series, or at least evil characters, Kamul and the Easterlings. But before we get to that, we obviously can't forget to go over this coming week in Middle-Earth history. Starting with January 8th, the Fellowship reaches Holland, which I don't have my map in front of me anymore, but it's in a kind of like a wide open area with a little hill just before you get to the Misty Mountains. And then the next day, they travel through Holland, starting to go into the mountains, and after that they spend a few days traveling through, or traveling over Caradhras, leading to January 13th where they are attacked by the wolves, decide to go through Moria, and then they reach Moria's west gate later that night. And Gollum begins stalking Frodo. The next day, they spend all in Moria, leading to the following day, January 15th, is when they reach the Briz of Khazadum and the fall of Gandalf. Later that night, the company reaches Nimrodel. January 16th, the Fellowship makes its way through Lothlorien, and unfortunately, January 16th of 2020 is the passing of Christopher Tolkien. The 17th is when the company arrives at Caraskaladon and spends some time resting in Lothlorien. During that time, Gandalf is still battling the Balrog. And on the 23rd, Gandalf and the Balrog reach the peak of Zerak Ziggul. And on the 25th, Gandalf casts the Balrog from the mountain, but passes away afterwards. Alright, so now on to our main topic for today, Kamul and his Easterlings. Kamul was one of the Nine Ringwraiths, second only to the Witch King himself. He was a lieutenant of Dol Guldur since TA 2951, and he is also called the Shadow of the East, the Second Chief, or the Black Easterling. He was a king of Easterlings during the Second Age, and he was one of the Nine Men whom Sauron gave one of his rings of power. Like the others, he became a powerful sorcerer and ruler until he eventually faded into a wraith and his will was surrendered to Sauron. By Second Age 2251, he was fully engulfed in the wraith world and was one of Sauron's permanent servants. It was said that after the Witch King, Kamul was the most ready to perceive the presence of the One Ring, but his power was most confused and diminished by daylight. In TA 2951, Sauron returned to Mordor and declared openly to his enemies. Kamul and two other ringwraiths were sent to the fortress of Dol Guldur, with Kamul taking command. 
During the War of the Ring, he was one of the ringwraiths who entered the Shire and asked Hamfast Gamgee for, quote, Baggins. However, it was the day Frodo Baggins had left Hobbiton, and he then pursued the Hobbits to Buckleberry Ferry in the Shire some days later. He was also one of the six or nine ringwraiths, led by the Witch King, that followed Gandalf on Shadowfax and attacked him at night on Weathertop. They were repulsed after a violent fight on October 4th, and Frodo and Aragorn saw the lights of the battle from their camp. The Witch King and Camul stayed behind to watch Weathertop, waiting for the Ringbearer to hopefully come for two days thereafter, along with three other of their wraiths. Following the destruction of the One Ring, Camul perished with the rest of the Ringwraiths. It is said that the ring Camul wore was called Orom the Warmonger. Now to the Easterlings. The Easterlings were men who lived in the east of Middle-earth and were mostly and mostly served the Dark Powers, being thus bitter foes of the Free Peoples. In the First Age, men awoke in Eldorian in the east. Early on, some of them were corrupted by Morgoth, prompting others, the Dane, to migrate westwards. Centuries later, after Dagobragolak, tribes of men joined the Edain and Beleriand, long after their arrival. These swarthy men came from the east, probably Eriador, and were also called Easterlings. Two of their leaders were Bor and Ulfang. In the Second Age, Sauron escaped the judgment of the Valar and continued his former master's work turning the men of the east and south to evil and dominating them. Under the authority of the Dark Lord, many towns and walls of stone were built, and those under his influence became numerous and armed with iron. To these men, Sauron was feared as a king and god. During the Dark Years, Sauron dominated most of the Westlands, also urging men from the east to go to the west for loot. Those troubled the Northmen, who waged war against them and the orcs. When Sauron was driven back to Mordor, he continued his expansions eastwards, gaining servants and worshippers. At some point during the Dark Years, Sauron gave one of the Rings of Power to Camul, an Easterling lord with which he gained great power and prestige among his people, becoming a mighty lord and sorcerer until he became a wraith. After Sauron's defeat in the War of the Last Alliance, these wild men were released by his tyranny, but they still had darkness in their hearts. Evil and restless, they battled against each other, and some withdrew to the hated west. Thus they encountered the lands of Gondor, and since then, tribes brought trouble periodically with several attacks and migrations. Even Northmen often assailed Gondor for a long time. They first entered the records of Gondor in TA-490, attacking Gondor from the plains between the Sea of Rune and the Ash Mountains. Tarostar managed a first victory against them in TA-500, for which he became known as Romendasil. In TA-541, they took revenge against him, but Trombar of Gondor destroyed the Horde and conquered a new territory in Rune for Gondor. In the following centuries, the Easterlings cease, while Gondor was free to extend its borders to the south. However, beyond the borders of Gondor, some invaders of the east, no doubt moved by Sauron, came to Ravanian harassing the Northmen, 
occupying Greenwood and traversing it, coming to the Vales of Anduin. These moves coincided with the coming of the Shadow of Dolgaldor, and these were the causes that drove the hobbits to the west around TA-1000. In the days of Narmasil, first the Easterlings resumed their attacks, and even some greedy Northmen joined them. In TA-1248, an Easterling army marched in the lands between Rovanian and the Sea of Rune. Forces from Gondor, aided by Northmen of Rovanian, defeated them and destroyed their camps and settlements east of the Inland Sea. After this defeat, the Easterlings disappeared from the Gondorian records for some period, during which Gondor was occupied with the south and the Corsairs of Umbar. During that time, emissaries of Sauron investigated tribes of Easterlings to form the confederacy known as the Wainriders, who would trouble the kingdom and the Northmen. Gondor was weakened by the Great Plague, and the Wainriders defeated the Gondorian army in TA 1856. In TA 1856, raided the lands of Ravanian and enslaved its people. Some of these lands eventually were reclaimed by King Kalamatar. In TA 1944, the Wainriders allied with the Haradrim of Near Harad and the Variags of Khand managed a brief victory against Gondor despite the assistance by the Aothade. Eventually, however, they were defeated in their camp during their celebrations. After this defeat, the might of the Wainriders was broken, although they still held Ravanian, and they retreated east. Most importantly, King Ondaher and both his sons were slain in that assault and even that led to the extinction for the line of the kings of Condor. In TA 2063, the Necromancer, who <laughs> was actually Sauron, retreated from Dol Guldur for some centuries. That period was known as the Watchful Peace or the Westlands, but during that time, Sauron retreated to the east and managed to create a strong alliance between the various tribes of Easterlings. The Balkoth was a fierce race southeast of Mirkwood, under orders of Dolgodor and no doubt related to the Wainriders. In TA 2510, they and the orcs overran the plains of Kalinarnon and almost destroyed the army of the steward Kyrian, but were defeated by the Aothade. In TA 2545, some Easterlings renewed their attacks and entered the new-founded Rohan. Thus, Earl fell fighting in the Wold. During these struggles, Sauron reclaimed Mordor unnoticed in TA 2941. Easterlings serving Mordor fought in the War of the Ring alongside the Haradrim and Variags. They appeared in the Battle of Pelennor Fields as well. Around the same time, Sauron's northern host pushed King Brand back and across the Carnan, invading the Kingdom of Dale. The Easterlings were then victorious at the Battle of Dale. In the Fourth Age, some Easterlings were subdued by King Elisar and King Aomer. The Easterlings were, more, were in general more primitive than Gondor. They were motivated by Sauron to hate Gondor and seek its riches and land. Troops mentioned in the Easterling forces aiding Sauron in the Third Age included swordsmen, spearmen, horsemen, mounted archers, and chariots 
written by Chieftain. Some, like the Wayne Riders and Balkoth, had large chariots, wagons, and wains, which they used to run their foes down, as well as live in and used to fortify their camps. During the Battle of Helenor Fields, Easterlings were bearded and used a lot of axes. They were rumored to have temples to worship Morgoth, however this could never be officially confirmed, which is most likely because no one wanted to cross Mordor and then go through the open desert, although the climate of Rune was not quite as fierce as Harrod. Outwardly, Easterlings were similar in appearance to ordinary men, apart from their sallow skin. However, they were however they were evil on the inside as they were loyal servants of Sauron. They had been they had benefited greatly from their alliance with Mordor, which supported their expansion as policy, providing they paid tribute to the Dark Lord and serve his army. It is likely that Sauron Alls offered them land in northern Gondor, which they greatly desired. Easterlings were seasoned in the art of war and had a disciplined combat strategy. They marched and fought in groups and were quick and merciless in combat. Probably the most iconic weapon of the Easterlings is their 9-foot polearm or pike, which is a large spear-like weapon with a serrated axe-like blade on the end. Used with a shield, they use this to defend against cavalry charges. There is also a 5-foot long version used in close combat battles that you also see from the two that almost caught Frodo and Sam. Easterlings just recently started making swords before the final battle, so were fairly rare to see and only really used by their archers. While Easterlings were incredibly skilled in hand-to-hand -hand and were nearly unmatched in combat, they weren't particularly skilled in making armor. They couldn't make quality plate armor like Gondorians, for example, so their armor was small diamond-shaped scales made from bronze that were linked together. The shapes of their helmets and armor were designed as such for intimidation purposes. Like the Urukai, they had practically no armor at all on their backs, and for the same reason, they didn't surrender or, or turn away from a fight. The armor they wore was inscribed with their glyphs from their language, believed to have been strengthening spells to ward off harm. Their shields also had glyphs on them, but not a single scribe has been able to translate a single glyph. Their language is said to have died off with the last of the Easterlings. Also, like the Haradrim, they wore their family's wealth on their armor, usually pieces of bronze or other jewels. They could also be seen wearing talisman and other trophies from previous battles to hype them up for the next one. Some were also worn to strike fear in their opponents. After Aragorn was crowned King of Gondor, he led a large-scale attack out to the east to wipe out the remaining Easterlings once and for all, as a revenge for their victory over Gondor just prior. The Easterlings were only seen twice in the movies, first outside the Black Gate, where Sam and Proto were almost caught by them, and second at the Battle of Minas Tirith, where Grand bashes open the front gate and the enemy stormed in. They can be seen running and fighting Gondorians, and all mixed in with the orcs. And there you have it, the history of Kamul and the Easterlings. We have two questions this week. First one comes from Lisa Taylor. She says, hello, 
have developed a hyperfixation on the history of the One Ring to rule them all, and by proxy, Caliburnbor's whole back backstory. I'm curious because while listening to the episode on Lothlorien, it was indicated that Caliburnbor was still alive during the time of Lord of the Rings, but from what little I've researched, I thought he was killed by Sauron during the Second Age. I think he used his dead body as a banner during a charge, question mark. Uh, true. I also thought it was super interesting that Celebrimbor had a dwarven soulmate while also being married, question mark, to Galadriel, where they ruled Eregion and were trying to build relations with the dwarves. Celebrimbor's proximity to Feanor was also interesting to me. I'd love to hear some more backstory on this whole time frame and these characters should you all ever be interested in covering this topic and I definitely will um, we're kind of finishing off the last few episodes that are more geared towards the return of the king characters and places and then I'm going to go into um, I haven't fully decided yet I may actually put that out for you guys to decide in the group to vote on whether we go more toward in the direction of like the hobbit and we talk more about Bilbo, a uh, tiny bit more about Gandalf, maybe uh, Radagast, all the dwarves, and, and all those places. Or we go more towards the Silmarillion and talk about the other Valar and Maiar and everything back to the very beginning. So yeah, we'll do that. So keep an eye out in the group. And I will put out a poll to see what you guys are interested in and which direction you want to go first. But yeah, we would definitely be covering Celebrimbor and his history, along with Sauron, aka Anatar at the time, in an episode as well. But yes, you are correct. He Celebrimbor was killed in like middle-ish of the Second Age, and yeah, had his body strung out like a banner when Sauron assaulted the elves. So Celebrimbor was long past dead during the time of the Lord of the Rings and even The Hobbit. And our second question comes from Anna McQueen. She says, Hello Phil. Hello. What is the difference between Sindarin and Quenya? And which elves speak what? I'm really enjoying your podcast. Thanks, Anna. So, best way to put it, in my opinion, is Quenya is more like Old English, Middle English, maybe. And Sindarin would be more like modern day English. So, by the time of, like, say, the Third Age, when Lord of the Rings is happening, Quenya was really not used by anyone. It wasn't like a conversational thing, it was more just for super formal language and more for writings, where Sindarin was like the conversational, kind of what was spoken and used all widely across Middle-earth. The Valar did use Quenya um, in the elves of like the first age, but it was more Sindarin came in and kind of, I don't want to say replaced Quenya, but, but kind of replaced it <laughs> um, as the best way to put it. And it was obviously the language of the Sindar and the Teleri elves and then when the Noldor came back to Middle-earth again, they then uh, adopted, the, adopted the Sindar language. And then aside from that, when the elves of Beleriand and the dwarves kind of encountered each other in the beginning, 
the dwarves were more apt to learning Sindarin. And so they started picking it up because, you know, the dwarves and their language, they wanted it super secret and only them to know it. So they didn't want to really teach anybody else. So they're like, whatever, we'll just kind of learn your language and call it good. And then Numenorians were pretty fluent with Sindarin as well. So that's kind of like the best way I think I can put it for <laughs> and have it still make sense. Um, so hopefully that helps a little bit. That is it for this episode. If you like it, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Hopefully my voice comes through okay post-editing. Maybe it'll sound cooler. I cringe at the sound of my own voice in general. So maybe this will help. Or maybe it just sounds even worse and terrible. But I wanted to get you, uh, you all an episode out. The show must go on. So here it is. Hope you enjoy it. And as usual, if you want more content, feel free to find us on Facebook. Under History of Middle-Earth Podcast, there is a Facebook page and the Facebook group. There's an Instagram page, at History of Middle-Earth Pod. Our website, MinisterEarthArchives.com. And our History of Middle-Earth Podcast Discord page. And lastly, if you have any questions, send them in to our email at MinisterEarthArchives at gmail.com through the contact us page on our website or through directly into uh, the Facebook page. Those will be answered on a following episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hope to see you back next time. I'm your host, Phil. You're listening to the History of Middle-Earth podcast. Podcast.